Good afternoon, friends. It is so good to be with you. Just a quick hello to anyone who may be joining us for the first time or you're just here checking things out. My name is Kevin and I'm one of the pastors at Spark and I extend my warmest welcome to you. We hope that you find love and life and hope and encouragement being with us and we look forward to one day possibly meeting in person. If you have any questions about who we are, please just visit spark.church and you can peruse the website and take advantage of Spark's starter pack, a page designed just for you, anybody who's interested in who we are. Friends, uh, this week is week two of When a Child Asks, and we're going to be addressing the question, why is life hard right now? It's a terribly appropriate question, and one that honestly we'll have to face again sometime in the future. So we hope that some of what we do today is actually grounding and provides at least some anchors that we can carry with us, not only into these difficult times that we're facing right now, but also into the future. I'm so honored to share this time with my fellow Sparkers on the teaching team who have prepared a few thoughts for you today. Over the next few moments, you're going to hear from five of us share some reflections, encouragements, exhortations, stories, and illustrations from a variety of different angles and perspectives. And my encouragement to you all is to consider and open up yourself to the beautifully diverse ways in which we can tackle questions like this. Part of what I appreciate so much about Spark, which is all of us, yes, all of you participating in our service today, is that we together as a church recognize that there is always more than just one simple pat answer to life's complicated reality and the questions that arise from simply living day to day. And in addition to that, one of the challenges of being a public communicator, which all of us are, is that you can't say anything without realizing you can't say everything that needs to be said. And so this week, you're going to get a few mini sermons that will invite you to consider how you would address this question of why is life so hard, both for our kids, but also for ourselves. And because we can't say everything, well, that's why we have the Wednesday night small group, which you can still join to participate in a lengthier conversation and discussion with other sparkers around this and other topics that arise from the community. So when a child asks, why is life so hard? Pastor Omer will get us started. Hi all, I'm Omer, one of the pastors here at Spark. And when trying to answer the question, why is life so hard right now? I actually think it helps to first rule out some possible explanations that I think we can safely say are not true, but nevertheless that trip us up from time to time. Uh, the, one of those first reasons that I would like to rule out is one, God is not the reason that our lives are so hard right now. What I mean by that is this. I think a lot of people from children to adults have an intuitive grasp that much of what's wrong with the world and especially what's hard right now is because of bad choices that people have made that we are all capable of choosing to do the right thing or the wrong thing and that when we do the wrong thing it can often have consequences that reverberate and make life miserable for all of us. It's also the case then that one might from there reason out that well people didn't make coronavirus 
And if you operate on the premise that many of us do, that God is the creator, then one might conclude that God created coronavirus. And that is a conclusion that a lot of people come to again, both young and old. And from there begins all this kind of uh, this reasoning around, well, perhaps God created coronavirus for this reason or that. And my goal is to discern the reason that God would have done something that seems so terrible and to see how uh, it's trying to teach me a lesson or punish people for not listening to God or all kinds of things like that. it's, it's important in cases like this to call out very simply and very clearly, God didn't create coronavirus. God is firmly against coronavirus, just like the rest of humanity is. And it helps to have a, a view of evil uh, and what's wrong with the world that is grounded in the, the Genesis account towards the beginning of the biblical narrative itself. Um, In that Genesis account, very famously, you all may recognize that the author imagines uh, a world in which there is a a sneaky snake living in God's good creation that tempts humanity to disobey God, and then all kinds of evil flourish in the world after that. And you look at that story, and it's very easy to point to the first humans in that story and say, ah, that is where the source of much evil comes from. But one of the things that remains a mystery to anybody who reads that story is how a snake with evil or malicious intent got into God's good creation in the first place. That snake merely exists. We don't know its backstory, but what it does point to is a world in which there are evil forces operating in the world, even beyond the choices that humans make that are against God. And God and God's good creation are actively working against those evil forces. So please, in your moments of despair, when you're trying to have a righteous anger towards who to point the blame for these situations, uh, let's make sure we know where God stands uh, in this situation. Um, A second thing that it helps to call out is that when we say, why is life so hard right now, we actually have to acknowledge that life is not equally hard for everybody in this situation. We've spent a lot of time over the last several months here at Spark talking about all of the ways in which some people are disproportionately more harmed by the coronavirus, the pandemic, and shelter-in-place restrictions than others, acknowledging that although life is hard for many of us, some of us have it even harder, uh, especially because some of us had it harder to begin with before the pandemic even came. The way forward, though, I think is is pretty clear and will probably be very consistent with what you'll hear from uh, our other voices today. And that is that the way forward is together. It is remarkable when you read the breadth of letters in the New Testament of people reflecting on Jesus's impact on their lives. And they there are uh, numerous, uh, well over 50 statements called one another statements. Those are statements where the author will encourage uh, their audience to think about the impact that we all have on one another and to encourage us to love one another and sacrifice for one another and forgive one another and bear one another burdens and submit to one another and honor one another. And it goes on and on and on. When you reflect on the, the full weight of these one another commands, um, it, it impresses upon you that 
following Jesus is not a solo sport. Being a church is not something that one can do by themselves. Inherently, we're a collective, and the only way this is going to work, this whole Jesus thing, is if we do it together. Listening to a sermon on Zoom for 30 minutes once a week doesn't, in and of itself, make you part of a community. The community is a lived experience, a shared life that we all have together. And even though shelter in place can do significant damage to our ability to live that way, we have to persist nevertheless. It's our only way forward. In uh, The barriers to face-to-face -face communication is not new. Much of the New Testament was written during a period in which uh, the author themselves, like Paul in New Testament writings, would long to see um, the recipients of his letters face-to-face. -face. And in some cases, he never got the chance to. And yet, leaning in to that yearning is the right direction. It's the right way forward, not stifling that, that yearning within you to want to connect with others. So it's important to remember that, and even though we live in a very individualistic and Western world um, where I think life is very much structured as you are the hero of your story and you're on a hero's journey to battle your own personal demons, the, the biblical narrative that takes account of a more holistic communal way of looking at the world acknowledges that we're all in this together and we all have to be here for each other. There is a, a, a advice that Paul gives to one of the churches that, that he took care of, the church in Corinth, where uh, there's a particular context that that church find themselves in where some of them have a lot of power and resources, and some of them in the community are struggling. And what Paul does is encourage those who have in that community to take care of those who don't have. And here's how actually he, he frames his own advice. He says, it isn't that we want others to have financial ease and you financial difficulties, but it's a matter of equality. At the present moment, your surplus can fulfill can fill their deficit so that in the future, their surplus can fill your deficit. In this way, there is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered more didn't have too much, and the one who gathered less didn't have too little. All of us are running surpluses and deficits in all kinds of different parts of our lives right now. It's why the question, how are you doing, is actually a quite complicated one that has many parts to it. But the way forward for us is going to be being attuned to our own surpluses and deficits and thinking about the ways that we can use what's going well for us right now as a way to impact and benefit other people around us and to be aware of the ways that we are running deficits right now and reach out to other people in our community who are running those surpluses in those areas to help fill that gap for us. It is a beautiful balancing act that we're all gonna need to do together if we want to establish and pursue equality during this pandemic. Yes, it is hard, but we have this way forward. Hey Spark, my name is Siddhi and I hope that all of you are hanging in there the best that you can. I know it seems like just yesterday that we were all hunting for those 2020 silver linings and hoping for some joy and renewal and new beginnings in the new year. And it only took a week, one week, for hashtag cancel 2021 and can I please return my free seven-day trial to this year to start trending on Twitter. And I get it. 
the sheer range of human emotions that all of us have had to experience over the course of the last year, moving into this year is exhausting. And the frequency at which those emotions change is exhausting as well, depending on uh, whether or not we've turned off push notifications on our phone yet. In conversations with friends and family and fellow sparkers, a common question that's emerged to all of this is, am I reacting to everything that's happening in the right way? Spark, what I wanna communicate today is that all of those things that we're feeling right now, doubt, grief, feeling overwhelmed and overpowered are actually emotions and lived experiences that our biblical narrative and faith tradition don't place any judgment on or reject, but rather affirm and embrace. Let's start with doubt. It's so hard for us right now to not have feelings of doubt in our respective faith journeys, and that can often come with accompanying feelings of guilt. And yet, in our biblical narrative, we see so many stories of doubt, of real humans just like you and me, wrestling real hard with how a good, loving God could be alive and working through us uh, in a world that feels so broken. Someone, somewhere, actively chose to include these stories of doubt and wrestling in our story. One example is in the Book of Lamentations, where the author writes this beautifully heartbreaking poem as they look out into a Jerusalem that's been completely destroyed and deserted. The tone is really bleak, right? Here's some of the language that they use. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near me to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. This is some dark, heavy stuff, right? And yet it's there, it's everywhere throughout our biblical narrative, people laying all their wrestling and their doubt out in front of God and not holding back. Our story doesn't give us easy answers in terms of what to do with doubt, but what it does do in no uncertain terms is emphasize that experiencing doubt and voicing doubt and crying out doubt are actually key parts of how our ancestors grew closer to God. And then there's grief, so much grief. I was talking to a friend the other day who said, I'm just sad all the time and I wanna cry myself to sleep. And then I feel guilty because who does crying even really help? Here's something beautiful. In the Gospel of John, the same Jesus, our Jesus, goes to Bethany knowing that he's gonna raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And that same Jesus weeps at the tomb of his friend. Here is God incarnate, experiencing the same vivid, overwhelming range of human emotion that we do. This death brings Jesus to tears. And then later, Paul says in Romans 8 that the Spirit pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit groaning. Think about that. This is our God not one who looks at our grief and our tears and our sorrow as a weakness or as a lack of faith or as a failing on our part. This God in Jesus weeps for his friends. This God through the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf at all of the pain in the world. Feeling grief and expressing grief, even when that means crying ourselves to sleep sometimes, is an experience that God affirms. That to me is beautiful and compelling and reassuring. And then lastly, Sparks, there's the feeling of being overwhelmed or overpowered. 
with forces at play in this world that are so much larger than ourselves, like governments and viruses and entire ways of being, how do we do something when that something never feels like it's enough? This isn't the first time that Christians have had to contend with natural disasters in their world. The way the early church uh, tackled some of the worst natural disasters at the time, like plague and famine, was through radical love. In these moments, while many of uh, the rich and elite with money and power were fleeing as far as they could from disaster, early Christians with far fewer resources and far more at stake chose to be in power through Jesus instead of being overpowered. They cared for the sick, they raised money for the poor, they built hospitals, they walked their streets up and down actively seeking those who needed care. When disaster struck, the early Christians made it a personal calling to do something, anything, so that they could be for the suffering what Jesus was to Israel. This was revolutionary at the time, and it was actually one of the biggest reasons why people became Christian in the early days of the Jesus movement, because of how deeply compelling it was to do something, anything at all, in the face of overwhelming challenges to care for people who weren't your family and weren't your tribe. So to wrap it all up, Spark, how do we get through these hard, hard times? Just like our biblical ancestors, we do it through doubting and questioning. We do it through grieving. We do it by feeling everything that we need to feel in our heart and our soul and in our bones. And then just like those early Christians, we do it by acting, realizing that through Jesus, we have power even when we feel most overpowered. Thank you. In 2003, and that seems like a lifetime ago, because it is, Tammy and I and our two kids, we moved back to the Bay Area from St. Louis. And my daughter at at that time, she was in the sixth grade. She's just started going to a new school. She had no friends. She was really sick and she was having a hard time. And here's what she wrote in her journal, which she wrote for me. It was written to me. How cool is that, right? And she gave me this journal seven years later. Here's what she wrote. She says, Dear Dad, I hope one day I can finish this and give this to you. I'm very proud to have a dad like you. I love you very much. But you know what? I have to be flat out truthful. I hate it here. I'm so, so, so mad. You know, I don't understand why I am here. God has somehow made a mistake. Why? Because I hate school. I hate volleyball. I hate church. Pray for me. Now, Tammy and I knew at that time that our daughter was struggling. It's hard to go to a new school when you have no friends. It's like going to a new job with no friends or going to a new church with no friends. But these words that my daughter wrote, they're just so hard to hear as a father, that my daughter was sad and was having a hard time. And given what's going on today with the coronavirus, you might be having the same conversations. And so if one of my children were younger and asked me today, why is life so hard right now? I would say something like this, you know, you are right. You are right. It is hard right now with the coronavirus. And I can see that it is hard for you. And it's hard for me too. I know that you want to see more of your friends. And you want to have a birthday party. 
I know that you miss playing on your soccer team. I know that you want to go to your favorite restaurant and get an ice cream sundae afterwards. But we can't do that right now because we have to be smart and responsible to keep you safe and to keep others safe. That's how we can love others right now, by keeping them safe. And the truth is that life is hard right now for everybody, your friends, your teachers, even your parents. Some people, some of your friends' parents have lost their jobs and they need money to pay their bills. Some have lost loved ones, a grandparent who has died. Some people are really hungry because they don't have food. And some people are just lonely with no one near them, no one to talk to, and no one to hold them. But here's the good news. So many people are making sacrifices to help others. We've seen this. Doctors and nurses and teachers and bus drivers, people working in stores and in banks. These people are working long hours and taking risks to care for us. It really is love in action. And Jesus, he speaks to this. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, this verse is telling us to really care about people and to show our love for them with action. And while we are not doctors or nurses, we can still care for people in a way that is noticed and matters. And I see this in you. I've been so proud of how you are helping others, like playing with your brother and writing a letter to your grandmother and praying for our neighbors and helping to drop off food and clothes with your mother for some people that really need it. And the best news is that the coronavirus will eventually pass, hopefully this year because scientists have developed a vaccine. Your grandmother just got her shot. And when this virus does pass, we can celebrate and have friends over and play games because life can become normal again, at least close to normal again. But the truth is life has seasons. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says to everything there is a season. And this means that sometimes life is really good. You're happy and you're dancing. Sometimes it's just a normal day. And sometimes life is hard, like right now. And when it is hard, I have found that our friends and family and sometimes even strangers will show up and help us, like dropping off cookies or a meal at our front door. And when we have a normal day or when life is really good, we need to remember to help others who need us, where life is hard for them, and that could be bringing them food or playing with them or just sitting next to them and talking because this can help them smile and feel better. Now back to my daughter. My daughter, she was having a hard time, even a hard year. She was. But as the year passed, her health improved, and she began to make friends, good friends, where she could laugh and have fun, and life became easier. She was in a new season. Hi everyone, I'm Mark. And when I've been asked, why is life hard right now? My response has been dependent on what's happening in that specific person's life and what are they really seeking? 
solace, comfort, a person to share with? Or are they really asking the question of theodicy, or why does a good God allow evil to take place in the world? If it's the former, then my role is to listen, to try to understand, and to offer solidarity where I can. If it's the latter, seeking an answer to the existence of suffering, then I tell them what I believe, which is rooted in Christian theology. Whether it's an adult or a child, it's the same story, because in the end, an adult is just a child who's had his heart broken too many times. Here's what I say. God gave every human being two amazing gifts, free will and being connected with other people. With free will, God makes me free to choose, and not just a robot who does what he's told. God lets me choose to do good things or bad things, because God loves me and wants me to choose to love. The being connected part? Well, you know those cargo nets or bridges at a playground? Well, if, if I'm on one of those and I shake it, it shakes the entire cargo net, and it shakes everyone that's holding onto that net. So if I choose to do a good thing, then other people can get the blessing of that good thing too. If I bounce on one side of that net and it shakes the net, then other people who like to bounce will bounce with me. So with these two gifts of free will and interconnectedness, I can really love God. And not just with a little part of my heart or a little part of my soul or a little bit of my strength, but with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength. And with these two gifts, I can really love my neighbor too. Those gifts can magnify love, but they can also magnify selfishness and cruelty too. If I choose to do a bad thing, then other people can be hurt by that bad thing, even if I didn't mean to hurt them. Remember the cargo net? If everyone else on the net is scared that they'll fall down or fall off, they will tell me to stop bouncing. But when I want to shake the net because I want to bounce, it shakes them and it makes them even more scared. And they might even fall off the net. That's not very loving. So why is life hard? Because when we misuse God's gift of free will and we choose to do bad things, then because of our interconnectedness, it can hurt people that we didn't mean to hurt. Sometimes we want people to feel the way we feel when we're happy or giggly. We want other people to feel happy and giggly too. When we're mad or sad, then we want other people to feel mad or sad too. And there's nothing wrong with being mad or sad. It's normal. And sometimes it helps us to do good things. But if we want to make other people mad or sad, then we might be thinking about ourselves and not thinking about loving them very much. Now, you can use this framework to talk about anything and everything difficult that we encounter as a community and as a society. To connect it with something specific like the pandemic, you can say, the illness is here, and if people choose to do good things that can help others, then less people can get sick and go to the hospital, and maybe we can all go to school and see our friends and families much sooner. But if people choose to do things that they want to do and not think about people that can be hurt by those choices, then the illness can spread. And then being groups in groups with people, which is normally a way that we show love to people, actually isn't that loving. So we choose to do the things that will help others, even if it means we can't do what we want to do. With the pandemic, it means not seeing our family and friends in person. It means washing our hands and wearing our mask and not standing too close to others. And it means trying to talk to people on the phone or video chat or with letters, instead of going to their houses or to school or to church to hang out with them. And it might mean that we're lonely. 
But because we try to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we try to do what's best for other people. Now, when bad things are happening, one way we can still love our neighbors is by sharing hope. And here's the hope. God can help people see when they do right and when they do wrong. Sometimes it takes a while, and sometimes people might not listen. But God doesn't give up. Because God loves us, God doesn't give up on you or me or someone who makes lots of bad choices or anybody, no matter what. And people can share stories of how they've changed, how they've learned, how God has helped them to make more good choices. These stories of how people choose to love other people. The stories are in the Bible, and they're in our family, and in our friends, and in people we haven't even met yet. So when we feel bad or sad about not seeing our friends or family, or people are scared or angry or self-centered, it helps to look for those stories of good things happening, to listen to those people doing those good things, and to remember that God hasn't given up on helping us to love. There was a man named Mr. Rogers, and he said, when I was a boy and would see scary things on the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I'm always comforted by realizing that there are so, still so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. God and lots of people are trying to do good things for one another, and they're not giving up. So we shouldn't give up on each other either. For us adults, that means looking for those stories, sharing those stories, telling those stories. That's you shaking that cargo net for someone who needs to feel that love. Again, an adult is just a child who's had his heart broken too many times. Look for stories of those hearts being mended. Now, what kind of stories am I talking about? There's a CBS News reporter named Steve Hartman who specializes in telling these stories. There's one story in particular that mends my heart every time I hear it. So here's your homework, Spark. Go to YouTube and search for the query, Nora and Dan CBS. Nora and Dan CBS. Now there's a Nora and Dan at Spark Church too, but this is a different Nora and Dan from Augusta, Georgia. There are three parts to the story spanning four years, and I recommend watching all three in chronological order, but watching even one of those two minute videos will give you the idea. Get your tissues ready, and remember, when you share God's love in even the smallest of ways, it gets amplified. Take care, my friends. Over the years, I've been collecting some axioms, some sayings and proverbs that I can carry around with me that are helpful for framing an understanding of the world. One of those axioms is one that I shared last week, that the opposite of fear is not courage, but curiosity. Another one I really like is dictionaries do not make definitions, definitions make dictionaries. Depending upon your philosophy of how language works, you can debate the merits of that axiom. One of my favorites is from Edward Deming, a multifaceted engineer and business thinker from the mid 20th century. Uh, he once said, in God we trust, all others bring data. But the snippet of wisdom that has persisted throughout my life that has some of the widest applications is the axiom, that which you give attention, you give power. That which you give attention, you give power. Now this is true in relationships, in politics. This is true when managing an organization or even when choosing to figure out how you're supposed to make yourself better. That which you give attention, you're going to give power over your life, your time, 
and even your emotions. I am in full concert with Sidi and pastors Omer, Mark, and Tom on their snippets of wisdom, insight, and encouragement. Consider carefully the community, the helpers, the God of love found in Jesus, and for us, the values that emerge out of our following in the way of Jesus. Consider our behavior and free will for how we influence and affect one another. Consider the opportunities of abundance that we all have and the generosity that we could deploy in this world. Consider the changing seasons and the ebb and flow of life and the lessons we learn from those times. And consider that this is a long history in our story. In each of these, they were calling us to turn our attention to something greater than our circumstances, greater than our current emotional state, and therefore to give greater power to those things in our lives, to things like hope and joy and love, community and generosity. It is very much in line with the axiom, that which you give attention, you give power. There are several exhortations that we find in both the gospel accounts of Jesus and the letters of the New Testament. Exhortations like, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things, things like clothing, drink, and food, will be given to you. This is the principle of generosity that was previously mentioned, but notice the teaching of Jesus to seek first God's kingdom. Turn your attention and focus on the principles, values, and ethics of God's kingdom, not on scarcity or competition, you know, making sure that we get ours before someone else gets theirs. No, seek first God's kingdom and the provisions upon which we all depend will also be given to us as well. Why? Because God's kingdom is about generosity, abundance, plenty, provision, and care for our fellow human beings who are created in the image and likeness of God, which means we all have equal value and worth, which means we all should share in loving and honoring the image of God amongst us, which results in reciprocity, cooperation, and equity. That which you give attention, you give power. In Philippians 4.8, Paul exhorts the Christians in Philippi with this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You may have heard that Paul was in prison when he wrote these words, and indeed it is astonishing how much rejoicing praising, thankfulness, and opportunity Paul saw in his circumstances, and his circumstances were the dungeons of Rome. Why is life hard right now? Paul frequently responds to the difficulties of, of his life, focused on the lordship of Jesus, the goodness of God, and the ministry of love, reconciliation, and the power of the resurrection to which he was commissioned to advance into the world. He gave attention and focus to that end and to that goal. And that in turn had power over his own spirit and how he emotionally navigated his difficult and challenging circumstances. 
I once heard Howard Hendricks, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, once quip to a student when he asked him, so how, how are you doing? The student replied, not so great under the circumstances. And Professor Hendricks said, well, what are you doing under there? Exactly. Now, again, this is not to ignore the very real tragedies, injustices, and challenges we face. It is to say, let us be encouraged to focus our attentions, not on those things, but on that which brings life. It is to say, I will give my attention to the God of the universe, to the ministry and message of Jesus, to the rejoicing that comes with salvation, to the hope of compassion and the mercy to which the gospel commissions, to the values and ethics of life that drive my social and political self. And yes, as was previously said, I will give my attention to the helpers, to the community that God has gathered together when life is hard. I will give my attentions to Jamar Tisby and Reverend Dr. Isam McCauley, to Dr. Kismekia Corbett and Dr. Anthony Fauci, to Ron Sider and Christians for Social Action and Justin Gibney and the AND campaign, to Catherine Hayhoe, Anna Jane Joyner, and the thousands of indigenous women and women of color in their climate change advocacy. I will give my attentions to our partners at AbleWorks, We Hope, Bayshore Christian Ministries, who have faithfully persisted in their caring work through all of this. I will give my attention to the generosity of you, the Spark community, and the friendships within this family that bring joy and a smile and laughter, as well as comfort and compassion during times of loss or difficult news. This community embodies love and care. And so it is to all of you that I also turn my attention. I want to attend to those things because we can then be influenced more by their presence in our lives than the difficult times and empower that attitude, that hope, that Jesus way more in this world because that which we give attention, we give power. I know things are hard right now. I am terribly sorry. My heart breaks. But it is in these hard times that our attentions are most transformative. It is in the hard times that our attentions are most redemptive and most powerful in advancing God's kingdom in the way of Jesus. As we do seek first his kingdom and not be too distracted by the anti-kingdoms around us. So it is to that, to God's kingdom and to the way of Jesus and to the ethics and values that grow out of that focus that we give our attention. And as we turn our attention to communion, we are reminded once again that embodied in these symbols of the bread and wine or juice are the very elements of transformation and love and redemption. And as we partake of them, we give our attention to that Jesus and his story so that that Jesus, our Jesus, this amazing person, God in flesh, can have power once again over our lives, over our hearts, over our souls, and over this world. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, 
blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.